Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. All right. Hello and welcome to Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner. I am one of your hosts, Jimmy Gasparro, and I am here today with the deputy editor at Popverse and also uh, was, I, I think it's not publishing right now, but was co-editor of the Eisner winning panel by panel and um, uh, a poet, uh, uh, someone who's involved in comics, journalism and criticism and all things pop culture. And I am very excited to talk to Tiffany Babb. Tiffany, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to talk to you um, because I like to involve folks in the podcast, not just writers and you know artists, but everyone who's involved in any capacity, even if it's you know covering comics. And I know that you have been involved in terms of editing and written a lot of critical pieces about comics, some like fantastic work, um, Eisner winning, uh, as I, I mentioned earlier. So that has to be pretty exciting. That was exciting. It was weird. Uh, it was a weird night because we were covering it too for Pop First. Um, so Graham McMillan and I were sitting like at the tables where where like nominees are sat, and right. we have like a laptop out <laughs> and our phones <laughs> out and we're like, live tweeting. And then I'm like, you know, ten minutes before my thing gets called, and we didn't even know then because like they do this sneaky thing where they go in order on the awards and then they'll just like pause and then throw something else in. So I'm like, okay, I'm next. Like you take over the live tweet. And then like, it's another 20 minutes of like other stuff. <laughs> like panicking. Um, but, but no, that was, it was a very exciting evening. Yeah. I, I, I cannot imagine, but that, that has to be terribly exciting. Um, I mean, because I mean, I guess panel by panel was going on for since 2017 or even earlier. Don't ask me years. I know it was six years total. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. what I know. Right. Um, but um, a long time. Yeah. And I just, fantastic work. And I know now you're with, um, as deputy editor of, of Pop First. Um, I, I kind of want to start there and maybe we'll work our way back to some of the other things. And I, I cause I, I do, you know, I try and do some research. So I, I sound like I know what I'm, you know, I know a little bit about the guests, like have a, like a pathway with these interviews, but yeah, I, I checked out your poetry, uh, a list of things I've lost and was reading some of those poems. And I mean, um, I, so I want to talk about that too, but let's start with pop first with what you're doing right now in terms of, for anyone that doesn't know, um, in terms of, can you just talk to the listeners about what does Pop First do? When did Pop First get started? And how did you kind of um, begin with them? Yeah, Pop First, we are a website, a pop culture website. We cover film, television, and comics, and more. Um, we're really kind of focused on where fandoms are, right? And where fans are and what fans are interested in. Not just kind of the most obvious things, sometimes more obscure stuff, sometimes more in-depth, sometimes original reporting which I'm always really proud of because there's not all that much original reporting in our corner of the world sometimes. Um, and just having the opportunity to get to spend the time and energy on those stories is really exciting. So fun things we do. I don't know. We cover shows a lot. We were just at San Diego. We were at Anime Expo. So we did like fun videos. Like, do you, are you going to watch Barbie or Oppenheimer? Um, but we were also doing 
on the ground reporting of what it was like to be at San Diego this year, this weird uh, strike year. And we were breaking news about comics and we were interviewing people. So, you know, we try to do as much as we can and we're a pretty cool team. Chris Arendt is my boss, editor-in-chief. We've got Graham McMillan, our staff writer. Um, We've got video people, Veronica Valencia and Ashley Robinson, and a a whole gaggle of freelancers as well that have been really, really exciting, doing really interesting work over the last year and three months now, I think, is how old Popverse is, which is wild. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like it's been, you know, a lot longer. And um, I mean, I will will say for anyone who hasn't checked out like Popverse, I really like the site. Um, I think. You know, th- th- there's always a tendency, I think, with any entertainment type of website for like list- listicles or what we might consider more like flashy clickbait stuff. But, but like when I say there is a real need for like actual journalism, especially in the comics area, um, there aren't that many sites that are really doing it. And Popverse is one of them. I mean, when news, for example, of what was going on with Aftershock a couple I think months ago at this point broke. I mean, I was like constantly refreshing, waiting for like the next story because Pop First was like on top of it, covering like what was going on. And like, you know, that's real news. That's not, you know, fluff stuff. That's like real hard hitting. You guys are covering a lot of stuff. And a lot of your critical pieces too on Pop First are really, you know, fantastic. I really like the site. Thank you. It's really exciting to be a part of it um, because it, it's big, right? It feels big when we're working on it and people have been so nice about it. Um, as we, because we just launched it a year ago, um, we're literally seeing people respond to it in real time mm-hmm. from like, who are you to, Oh, right. You that, Oh, you've covered these stories. Um, so that's really exciting. And we just like, we had an annual membership and we just launched our monthly membership, which is only six bucks, five ninety nine for people who are specific. Um, but that way people can, you know, pay the cost of a deluxe comic <laughs> and get like our um, behind the paywall pieces, as well as we have this really long um, list of uh, convention panels that are up because we are owned by Reed Pop, who, full disclosure, who run New York Comic Con, they run right. Comic-Con, C2E2, a bunch of shows. Um, And so we have a lot of panels from these conventions that you can watch on our website, which is cool. Um, But but yeah, that actually just launched like last week. So I'm particularly excited about that. But it has been kind of a whirlwind in a lot of ways. Oh, I'm sure. And I mean, and I I mean, I think the the month, the annual subscription or the monthly subscription, um, I I think is a, a great idea. Because we need sites like that, not just the fun stuff, but also the journalism aspect of it. And, you know, that's the thing. Like, it's tough to do stuff, you know, for free. Like, <laughs> nobody yeah. wants to do it for free. And, like, if you, you, you'll you see on, you know, I'm on Twitter a lot at, for, for who knows how much longer, but <laughs> right now. Um, and you'll see every once in a while, you know, anecdotally, someone bemoan that, oh, we don't have any, there's not. There's, there's not like comics journalism like there used to be, or there's not like this type of entertainment journalism like there used to be. And it's like, yeah, we have to, like, you have to support it if you yeah. want it, you know, because you can't just expect folks to, um, 
you know, to to do like really hard hitting work and put a lot of time in it. So I think it's great that now there's an opportunity for folks on a monthly basis to support, you know, Pop First and folks like yourself and uh, Chris and Graham that are really doing some some great work, some fun stuff, but also some important work. I love it. Um, and yeah, like it is depressing, not just because, you know, there's less comic journalism, but also you see over time, I've only been in the game for, I'd say seven years now. Right. Um, Graham and Chris have a lot, like a, a decade plus on me. Um, but even in my short, I guess it's not that short if it's seven years, but my shorter amount of time um, doing this, you see people who are so good <laughs> and so passionate and they just can't monetarily and energy wise continue to do their work because our economy both larger in like the actual economy but also small in the comics economy can't support the good work um so that's depressing but mm -hmm. hopefully we'll be around for a bit and we would really appreciate everyone's support um monthly or annually or you know comments and retweets and sharing our articles is always very very appreciated yeah, I, I hope folks uh, do that. I hope folks check it out because there's a lot of uh, fun stuff on there. Um, there's a lot of great stuff. Uh, but in, in terms of, you know, you and what you're interested in, and I know you not only have written for, you know, Pop First, um, but you've also done stuff for the AV Club and Paste Magazine and, and Shelf Dust. And I mean, um, not just comics, uh, although you've had some great articles in particular, I'm a fan of writer like Tom King, and I know you have gone and, and talked about Vision and talked about Mr. Miracle or written about. Um, but I was going through some of your articles uh, as I was getting ready for this. And like, I I was excited. The more I went through, the more like excited I got some of the pieces you've written in the past um, because you had a fantastic one about Columbo. Um, I loved a piece you had written on um, the birdcage and what it said about family 25 years later. Um, and then I also saw it, I think it was maybe on Pop First. They're, they're a little like one of those like bio blurbs about you that you're Pop First's uh, resident uh, Sondheim enthusiast. Oh, yeah. I love <laughs> Stephen Sondheim. I just went to, they had a Hollywood Bowl like Sondheim event with Patty the Foster and Norm Lewis. And I was, so excited to be there. Um, big Sondheim fan. I'm going to, when when we're in New York for New York Comic Con, I'm heading in a little earlier and I'm going to go see they're putting on a production of the final show that he didn't finish. Um, oh, really? So I'm go see that. Yeah, at the oh, Shed, wow. which is like, to me, a famously weird, like, like every show I've or speech or concert I've seen there has always been very weird. Like people walking out weird. Oh, really? I'm really curious to see how this turns out. What, where is it again? At the Shed. At the Shed. Oh, okay. That's a new building they built. Um, I mean, it's not that new anymore, but like five, six years ago. Okay. Oh, that's a, that's exciting. Yeah, I keep, I, I, I keep wanting to try and get up to New York to see Sweeney Todd just because that was... I was yeah. I, I struggled, I think, with Sondheim when I first got into musical theater. And I was like, oh, Sondheim. I, I don't think I got it when I was younger until junior year of college and we did Sweeney Todd. Mm. And then I was just like, Oh, I get it now. And then yeah. it, I feel like Sweeney Todd was the show for me that then like unlocked Sondheim, you know? And then I was like, all right, company, 
uh, Sunday in the Park with George. You know, like, like okay, let, let's keep going. Merrily, let's keep going. <laughs> They're putting Merrily on right now with uh, Daniel Radcliffe and Lindsay Mendes. Yeah, I know. I know. Very I would exciting. love to, to see that. That would that would be uh, that would be amazing. Um, so, yeah, so plenty of stuff to uh, plenty yeah. of eclectic things to get into. But, um, yeah, I was very excited. I was like, oh, Columbo. I like Columbo. And then like The Birdcage, uh, one of my uh, favorite movies. But I, I liked how your kind of take on it in terms of what it said about family, queer representation, both 25 years ago uh, in terms of what it said. Uh, and, um, yeah, I thought just some fantastic, fantastic writing. So thank you. Um, um, eclectic tastes. I mean, part of it is just like, I'm an obsessive. Like I like pick things up and then like, I won't stop thinking about them. Um, and that's like the fun part of being a critic because you're not a historian, right? You don't have to know every single fact about how it was made or the context you ha like, it's helpful sometimes to know some, if you're writing that type of criticism, like 25 years ago and, and, and now, yeah. um, but sometimes you can go completely knowledge list like we have a piece coming out that i just wrote about uh the angels player shohei otani and the manga that he likes and like i know very little about baseball but i'm like obsessed with this guy like everyone else is right now he's a big <laughs> star um but like ask me like to name more than two dozen baseball players i i could name 10 for sure 10 okay right now 10 but, current like, baseball players yes i can do okay. 10 but no more than that. So clearly, like, I, yeah, I don't know about baseball. But, like, as a critic, you can grab a thing. Um, like, I, I have seen all of Columbo. But you can grab a movie that maybe you've never seen. Or look at an actor's performance. Or read a comic from someone you've never heard of. And still be able to interact with it in a way that makes some sort of interesting meaning. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, context helps, or historical context. I, I mean, it, it just it just depends. But, you know, if you've... It, there's a certain training and background that helps depending on what it is you want to do. Like, I feel like I, I don't have any particular training writing or, like, reviewing comics, which is what I started with Comic Book Yeti. I mean, I read a lot of comics. That was about it. But I hadn't really made a comic, and I didn't have a lot of, like, background, you know, training... But I knew about story and I, I felt like I knew about structure and I knew what I thought worked and didn't, you know, for me. Um, I, I struggled the most with having like not a whole lot of artistic ability. Like it took me a while to, 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 felt, to feel that I was able to talk intelligently about the artwork and mm -hmm. about the line work and about the colors and, you know, the letters and the letterer, um, which is why I like for Comic Book Yeti, I did something towards the end of, I guess 2021 where I, I just had like come up with a set of like 10 to 15 questions and interviewed like 20 letters just to see what That's the different awesome. answers were to the kind of the same format of questions and to get a sense of like, what do letterers think is important? And like, what do they think about their craft? Which, um, helped a lot. Uh, plus I don't feel like nobody talks to letterers enough. You're right. <laughs> uh, and they should, and I, I need to look that up cause I would love to read that. Um, but so when you having eclectic tastes and um, and having uh, a talent or ability that you you know nurtured for writing, how did you find your way into you know criticism in into uh, comics criticism in in particular? I think just <clears throat> I mean you mentioned earlier about being on Twitter, being online. <laughs> 
a lot during college and grad school, I think. You know, I was reading what other people were writing and at a certain point you're working on stuff at school and you're just like, well, I should be writing stuff too. Um, and so I started with a more academic bent actually um, with a column at Women Write About Comics for their uh, like academic section. Um, so I did that for a bit. And then um, Steve Morris, who now of 2000 AD, but also right. of Shelf Dust, as you yes, mentioned. sure. Um, sent me an email and was like, hey, you should come write for me. And so I did. And then, you know, it kind of, you start to read more people, you start to know more people, you start to pitch to more people and you just slowly get into it. Um, when I was in college, it was, and, and, and grad school, cause that's what I was studying as well. It was comics all day, all night. Um, I read so much. I don't know how I read that much. I forgot because my brain does not like retain information <laughs> but like when I look back like I'll look at I was cleaning out an old box and I had these notebooks of detailed notes of comics that I don't remember reading <laughs> and I'm like looking at panels per page and stuff and I'm just like wow this is like somewhat impressive and like I could not sit down and do that now because I'd find that so boring <laughs> but when you're really into it at the beginning and you kind of have to or else you'd never a mass or it takes a long time to amass the amount of information that you need to have to yeah. do something like this. Um, but just looking back, I'm just like, I don't know how I did that, but you know, when it's all you can think about, it's all you do. It's all. And you just kind of like, for me, I just kind of muddled my way into it. Uh huh. Well, well, what was it about comics though? Like, what was it about comics that like led you there? Did you, I mean, like growing up as a kid, were you into comics? Did it, it, it come to you late? Like how, how did you get to comics? I read comic strips as a kid, like in the newspaper, I had all the Calvin and Hobbes. I had the Heathcliffs, um, but, and obviously Archie comics, which is the story everyone has. And then, but it wasn't until high schoolish college. I think in high school, a friend lent me Watchmen and mouse. And then in college, I just completely jumped into like the superhero comics pool and just dove deep. Wouldn't like, I would just go to the library every day and just grab like a stack mm -hmm. of stuff and then bring it home and read it and then like return it and grab another stack of stuff. I was reading things out of order. I was grabbing things out of the dime box at, at the comic shop and just like, you know, rando black and white stuff, like issue like 30 of something from some point of, from some publisher you've never heard of and just trying to absorb it because I mean, what interested me about comics was how meaning was made, um, what it could do that other formats couldn't do, what other mediums couldn't do. Um, like particularly, and I think about this a lot with music in musicals or in movies, right. Where sometimes you'll get the return of a theme. Right. Sure. And that's something that can't, it, you can do something similar in a novel, but it's not the same thing, right? Because whatever you're doing, you're adding more words onto a page. Um, and in comics, you can add a visual echo that isn't in the text, right? right. Um, and there's different things that you can do in comics that are tools that impact how a reader interacts and understands what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, whether that's kind of the line weight, whether that's the type of lettering, 
whether it's a color palette. You see this a lot with what Jacob Phillips is doing with um, Edward Baker and Sean Phillips's comics, the graphic novels, where there's a lot of echoes and colors. And that that that's what interested me then. And that's what still interests me now. Yeah, no, I, I love that answer. <laughs> I think that's fantastic because, you know, and it's funny, I I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Um, I'm I really think somebody smarter than me and maybe you're that person um, <laughs> should write an article and look at like the similarities like I know people are like tuning out now, like listeners, but I because I said this on the podcast, the similarities between comic books and musicals. And it was an idea after James Tynan said something after Stephen Sondheim passed about how there wouldn't be any nice house on the lake if there wasn't company. There wouldn't be any something is killing the children if there wasn't Sweeney Todd. And those those ideas, and I'm like, it just ma- it makes sense to me that I love comics and musicals because the idea of motif and theme, and you're not using music, but you're using color, and I I just love how the the I guess I I see so much similarity between the the musicals and like comic books, and I I I know that there's something there to do more with. Uh, I just I just don't ever think I have the ability or time to do it. There are always connections to be made, right? And that's a really interesting that I really like personally. Um, I'm I've never successfully written about musical theater. I don't know why. I like. I feel like you can write about a cardboard box, but like, I think with musical theater, it's just so, there's so many variables <laughs> that my brain just can't like wrap. Like I could talk about a plot of a musical, but sure. like if I were actually to write a piece of criticism and I've tried, like what the worst paper I ever turned in in grad okay. school was yeah. about something in the park with George. And it was like, I spent, like a long time on it. And it was horrendous. I sent it in, like went to bed, I sent it in like 6am right at the deadline, went to bed, woke up, wrote a list of like everything that I had done wrong. <laughs> <My professor. laughs> and he like emailed back and he's like, yeah, you're right. And then like gave me a good grade. <laughs> I was just, like, totally, like, my way out of that. But like, <sighs> I think there's just something about it that like, I love watching it. But I could never review it, I don't think. And I could never write, like, actual criticism about the form. I don't know why. I was having the same conversation with, um, through a random turn of events, I was um, interviewed for a book on Stephen Sondheim. Oh, okay. (laughs) um, Written by uh, Stephen, wow, his name is escaping me right now. He he actually just passed away, which was quite sad. Um, Sil- Silverman? Oh, man, this is going to bother me. Um, really great, beautiful, like, um, historian, biographer, reporter. Okay. Did a bunch of amazing stuff. And the book's coming out this fall. Um, but we were talking about this and, like, why musical theater might be something that is tricky for some people to write about. And I do think, for me personally, I think I just get overwhelmed by all the different aspects. I like to be able to, and part of it is it's live too, right? I like to be able to pause a film, to go back into the comic two pages earlier to see like, am I imagining that repetition or is it really there? Right. Um, And you can't do that with live musical theater. Um, You can't say everyone stop 
Um, go back. Let me see if I caught that melody. You can do it when you're listening to a cast album. Um, but especially when I'm working on something that I find tricky, when I'm writing some sort of criticism, or like when even when I'm interacting with it as like audience member, I get really obsessive about rewatching. Like okay. when I first watched The Nice Guys, I watched it like eight times that week because I was so excited by wow. it. And I, I do this a lot with a lot of movies where I'm just like, there's something there that's working and I don't really get it yet. Right. I want to see it enough that like I can see the structure mm-hmm. um, and that that rep- that starts to come out. Um, and you, you just can't do that with musical theater. <laughs> no. And also, I mean, um, a, a comic is the same. You might discover something different. You might have a slightly different experience because of something you've noticed. But the comic's the same. Same thing with a movie. When, once a movie is done and in the can and you're holding the DVD, or you put it on streaming. It's It's the same movie. You know, with live theater, the, one of the things I love about it, though, and how it is definitely different is it could change. There yeah. could be a slight variation. There could be so, somebody. It's an understudy this time. You know, there could be something different. So I think yeah. not only could you discover something new and have a different experience, it, it, it is, you know, not to sound cliched, but it is a living thing. Yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> it, it exists in the moment. Um I, l- I looked up the name of the author and it's Stephen L- M. Silverman. Okay. Um, and he he was a very nice man. And I'm very sad that he is gone. Oh, but he has a book about Sondheim that's coming out this fall? Yeah. Um, I think either September or October. Um, and okay. it he interviewed a lot of like Sondheim's collaborators and fans, obviously. Um, and it's a post that I'm really looking forward to reading it. Yeah, I, I, I'll have to check it out. Um, yeah, because I am uh, a fan as well. Uh, so uh, um, that's that's pretty cool. Um, I'm sorry to hear that he had passed. All right, fellow cryptids. Now seems like a good time for a break. I'm always looking for a way to display my comics, but unfortunately, I am not very handy or crafty, as it were. Luckily, I have come across Crafty Comics. And they have a way for you to display your comics, even uh, comic books that are already slabbed, if that's your kind of thing. I recently got a flex frame, which has customizable backings and interchangeable border colors. I was able to put in a frame a comic book. It's Batman Elmer Fudd, uh, number one by Tom King and Lee Weeks. It's signed by both. It's one of my uh, favorite signed comics that I got at Baltimore Comic-Con, and I was able to figure it all out. It looks great in the frame, and I can't wait to get it up on the wall. It was super easy, and I uh, have a slew of comic books now, and uh, much to my wife's chagrin, I think I'm going to create a wall of some of my favorite signed comic books, Um, and Crafty Comics was super easy to use. And I like that you can have a different border color along the background to kind of go along with the theme of the cover art. And yeah, it was a, it's great. And uh, I absolutely love it. So check it out. It's Crafty Comics, C-R-A-F-T-I-C-O-M-I-C-S dot com. Use the discount code YETI5 and get 5% off your order. And now back to the Cryptid Creator Corner. So when you are getting like uh, obsessive you know, I don't mean that in a bad way, but, you know, in yeah. terms of, you know, how you said it. And I certainly understand that I did the same thing because I, you know, had a couple had some comics as a kid 
and then didn't read comics for a long time. Just was reading whatever they assigned me to read, whatever I had to read at school for, you know, it was it, it probably wasn't until I'd say after law school that I got back into comics. And then I kind of did the same thing. I um, had hadn't read a DC comic in years. And I started with the, the, the crisis books. I read uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, Identity Crisis, Infinite Crisis, Final Crisis. Uh, I think I think by the time I had when I had started, I think Blackest Night had just come out. So I read like the big event books through Blackest Night. And then I'm like, I got to read a lot more for this to make sense. <laughs> and I, I read a bunch of DC. Um, I kind of jumped into all the the superhero stuff. Um, so we're, it, you, it sounded like you were kind of like just whatever was at the library, whatever you could get your hands on. You were just diving into all kinds of that superhero stuff after being exposed to like Watchmen and Mouse. Did you then, you know, at some point branch out into other indie comics and like, or did you get into manga? Like, how did your your tastes go? Manga is my one big blind spot. Um, I read very little of it. Um, I've read some of the independent one, like um, My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness. I've read Pluto is the one that I read front to back, but it's only seven volumes. So I feel like that's cheating. <clears throat> but I definitely was reading independent comics um, from the beginning, too, because, you know, you get introduced to Mouse, Persepolis, and Fun Home. And then you read all of the books that are next to them in the library. <laughs> right. Um, so I was just doing that. I was really going not in any particular order and just like, well, what's the next thing that looks interesting? Um, I kind of think when. Yeah, no, I was really just a lot of it was library driven. Some of it was friends recommendations. I would go to um, I just talk about it constantly, as you do when you're obsessive and can't hold that in like me yeah. i just gotta talk about it to anyone and so you end up sitting at the bus stop and you're talking to someone and you're like comics 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 and they're just like oh have you read this thing and i'm like no i haven't i will put it on the list and that's the next thing you dig up right um so i was not organized about it at all um but just consumed a lot yeah and so when you started writing for you know, women write about comics or for shelf dust. Uh, how do you do, how do you get into what it is you want to write about? Is it something that ex are you assigned things? Is it something that excites you? And did you ever find something that you just you loved too much that you 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 couldn't write about it critically? Fascinating. Um, so <laughs> my first pieces that women write about comics were actually academic papers for class that I just made into like like I changed the language like you can't have academic language for a popular audience it'd be really boring um right. <clears throat> so I was doing that and well, that's then, why in law shows they don't actually sound like lawyers a lot of the time because sure. it's a boring job I have it I know oh, yeah. <laughs> but but like I ended up after I ran out of papers I just started writing what was it interesting like I'd find one interesting like especially at that point, I would look at one small thing, like how does color work in this story? Or how does the concept of regret work in this story? And then I'd write from there. I was very specific um, because I was starting out as a writer. Um, I was less, <laughs> part of it is experience. And part of it is like, I took every 
assignment very seriously because I had never done assignments before. Mm-hmm. Right now, like I have assignments every day. I don't take it as seriously because, you know, you got to get the writing out. You got to move on. Um, but at the time I'd be very like thoughtful about it. Um, and so I went very narrow, which is a good rule of thumb for anyone who wants to start out. Never start with like themes of death in Watchmen because you'll <laughs> never get anywhere. You want to look at like, I don't know how lettering, how lettering functions in the flashback scene, right? That's, that's going to get you somewhere. Um, as for the se- the second question you were asking, what was it? It was really good. I said, was there anything that you just like loved too much <gasps> that you found difficult to write about critically? No, I, I think okay. part of it is because the word critically, I don't think of it as like, I'm criticizing something. Sure. As a negative. Um, right. I think of it as I'm interacting with the work and I am showing my work so other people can understand the way I've interacted with the work. And that can happen in multitude, right? I can do, not on every comic, but let's say a good comic. Let's say, since we mentioned Fun Home, I can do a hundred different readings of Fun Home from the art perspective, from the line perspective, from the I, the use of color or lack of color to queer, to the history of queerness, to how like parents are shown in these types of comics, to the use of memoir and history. Like there's a hundred different ways you can approach it. Um, and some of them can even contradict themselves, right? Like I could say that oh, yeah. from this, when I'm doing a feminist reading of a particular comic, like this comic's doing a pretty bad job. <laughs> but if I'm talking about like the, the, sen- the, the structure of the plot or how it uses this particular trope, it could be like A plus, right? Mm-hmm. So... For me, in a way, I almost feel like like when I'm writing, I don't think of I think of my work in conversation with the original work, but I also think of my work as an original work that is both connected to but also completely separate from the original work. Yeah, no, I, I mean I think that makes sense. I just I, I was just trying to think if there was a situation where it's like you know there was some type of enjoyment that you had. Uh, that it was either difficult to like get into or write about, but I, I like what you're saying and that that perspective in terms of you know it it being its own thing, but also how you interact with the work and if you really enjoy something, you want to dig in and and yeah. you know and and write about it and have other folks come to it and and share it. Um, I mean, I, the more, I, the no, more, go ahead. The more I like something, the more I want to write about it always because I like to talk. <laughs> I like to have my opinion out there. Um, whether or not it's going to change, that's another matter. Um, and so, like, writing is a way to do that. And if something's right. on my mind, unfortunately, I can't, you know, talk to the same five people in my life about Orson Welles for the hundredth time. But I can write an article about it, right? Yeah, yeah, you can. Um I I found myself like in terms of being online when I started really getting into reading comics before I ever thought about writing about it or interviewing in folks interviewing folks about it. I found myself going to you know to finding looking for different websites you know and so, for articles that were digging deeper than just like a, a a bullet pointed you know kind of review that you'll see you know sometimes because there are some comics that are and there's a lot actually that are 
that are just unbelievably they're they're complicated works. These are not you know flip through and like a straightforward type of story. Like I I remember the first time I read, I think I've read it a few times since then. But Coffin Bound, Dan uh, Waters, and uh, Danny's the artist, and I really enjoyed it. Couldn't have told you why. And <laughs> I think the first thing I searched for was like, please tell me somebody has written about. <laughs> coffin bound right. so i can figure out why i like it <laughs> that's great I, I love that and like sometimes i i do that too right like whether you know you want to hear what other people are getting from it and see if it matches what you're feeling and what if it doesn't right or there's other things that someone you know there's you're only going to have like your experience and you bring all that you bring all your baggage, I think, at least I do every oh, yeah. time I read something or watch something and, you know, someone else brings their baggage and, you know, and they're going to might have a totally different take. That's one of the reasons I, you know, I love it. And you're not always able to, you know, sit down and I can't, I have like five friends, like I can't force them yeah. all to read the comic. Like, guys, can you read the you know, Brew Baker and Phillips rest, reckless series, so we can talk about it. You know, they're, you know, they might not have time to do that. So I gotta, I gotta find folks online so I can talk about Ethan Reckless. For sure. <laughs> um, well, I also wanted to talk about in terms of your your poetry and a list of things I've lost. Um, which I I read a couple of the the poems from it. Um. And so I just was hoping you could talk about like how did that come about? It's a lot. It seems a lot about like memory, about loss, um, or or in terms of uh, I I got a very like sad nostalgia from it. I hope that's not offensive. I mean it as a no, compliment. No, it's not, <laughs> not offensive. It is very much kind of like I always think of the book as like three layers, which is one is childhood, which is always in your memory, right? It's just always sure. there and it's amorphous <clears throat> and it's not specific and it's not accurate but it's there um and then the like the illness and death of my father and then the illness of my grandmother who she hadn't died when this book came out but she died um th this past year but like the process of illness and death are very similar when it, when it's slow um, when it's fast, it's obviously very different. But when it's hospitals and waiting rooms and surgeries and you're sitting there, it is like exactly the same, yeah. even if it's a different person. Um, and it's it's that weird like feeling of like life is both paused, but it's not. Um, you're in these really weird spaces, you're in weird emotional spaces. Um, and that's kind of where the book came was when, when my grandmother was ill and I was kind of having these flashbacks and these memories of not only my father passing away, but also like with my memory of my father, my memory of my childhood. Um, and that, that's where the book came from. It, it, was it like a long process in terms of like putting it together? Like had you, how long in terms of writing the poems and, and putting it all together were these things that you had written before and, and, you know, came to again, or, you know, did you sit down with the intention of I'm going to write a book of poetry about these experiences? It was probably about a year and a half of work um, from 
So when, when I actually started my MFA, I started in a poetry concentration. So at that point, like your goal of your education beyond learning is also to put together a book manuscript so you have something for when you graduate <laughs> to try to get published. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was only in poetry concentration for, I want to say a semester. Um, but at that point, I had a structure. I knew the work that I was doing. And I continued to work on the book throughout my uh, my two years at my MFA. Um, and then working with editors and then submitting to to publishers and then the sad sad attempt like process and it's kind of similar to comics where you're selling your poetry book (laughs) to to poetry bookstores where there's like six of them in the u.s um or like local bookstores where it's just like please i'm a local poet (laughs) carry my book um that took another like six months um but but yeah it it did when I started out, some of the poems were not part of the project, but I did start out with an idea of a project in mind. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I you know, I really enjoyed it's a, it's it's a strange thing to say like that. I had I had it a, to say I enjoyed, but I had like a very emotional response to, you know, reading through them, especially the ones that seemed to capture like a moment in time of of childhood, like that that reflection of it and especially I'm someone that thinks um i i think it's part because of law school that we we were taught you know that uh, eyewitness testimony is like the worst and i think because every time we remember something i think the memory changes and so to kind of like poet poems that explore like just a tiny little snippet of of a memory i found very you know fascinating and um yeah, I I I I love I love poetry and I think there should be more of it in the world to be honest with you and I'm just glad that I had somebody come on here to talk about comics and I could talk about poetry. Well, thank you. <laughs> um yeah, but I'm I'm far removed from days of like grade school and having to memorize uh, you know, memorize poems, but I think that's probably where it started. The good way to I mean, as a kid, you hate it. Yeah. You hate the memorization, but it is a good, like, you don't lose it. Like, a lot of times, like, bits and pieces of those poems come back, right? Oh, sure. And you're just like, how? Like, I was 10. Yeah, and um, I still remember a good chunk of uh, Charge of the Light Brigade. There you go. Impressive. <laughs> and it also, like, the cool thing about poetry that I feel like people don't talk about is that it is a heightened respect for language. Right. It's heightened focus on the language. That's like the act of poetry is the focus on the language. You're always going to get that in prose in a certain. To a certain point, but like when you're writing a book that's like 80,000 words long, you cannot dedicate the same amount of attention to every single word and every single punctuation point. Right. You have to kind of like expand that you're thinking in chapters. Right. As opposed to thinking in like spaces. Um, and I feel like that is what draws me to poetry is just slowing down and being very, very specific. Yeah, I, I um, no, I agree. Um, especially when you're, when you're dealing with shorter poems and there is, there's such a focus on every word and, um, it's not anything that you can really, you know, rush through. And I think it, 
especially the way some of your poems are structured where I feel like the breaks in it are there to force the person to like slow down and, or the reader to slow down and kind of take their time with it. Um, I, I like how it's structured. So I think that's, you know, interesting. And um, so kind of turning back into comics before um, Byron yells at me that I didn't talk enough about comics on our comics podcast. It's just all um, musicals and poetry all day. I, I, you know what? I'm the host. I'm the yeah, other host. I can do what I want. This is what I want to talk about. I I know at least my brother will, no matter what, will listen to every episode. So I, we have at least one 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 listener. Shout out to Bob, the Cryptic yeah, Creator yeah, Corner's most dedicated listener. Um, but turning back to comics. Um, so what kind of things are you, I guess, uh, working on with Popverse? And um, I mean... Do you guys have like meetings in terms of the folks that are working on comics in terms of where you see the industry going and like concerns in the industry? Like, do those things ever uh, come up in your role as deputy editor over at Popverse? I mean, in interviews, sure. Like if we're doing like a long form interview with someone like amongst staff, like we we talk about it in the way that like people just do. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's something... No, maybe at the end of the year, Chris will do a state of the comics industry. <laughs> um, but like when we talk about the big picture stuff, especially because every day when news comes out or like we're looking at news, it's a reflection of what's happening, right? Like Simon & Schuster was just purchased. That's And Simon & Schuster is going to be distributing image, right? So we're right, like, yeah. that is going to the consolidation of these not even big five publishing companies anymore is going to impact comics. Um, and that's gonna do something, right? Don't know exactly what yet, but we have some guesses, I guess. But we we do keep an eye on the big stuff. What right now is exciting you in terms of comics? I've been thinking, <laughs> I, I had this thought the other day, which was I realized I haven't written much comics criticism for Popverse yet. Um, I've written about comics, I've interviewed creators, um, I've done news and write-ups and stuff, but just not like anything long form. I really want to dig into maybe some like four panel comics. Um, Alex Norris, I think is really good. And then there's, gosh, this is gonna, it's another Alex. And I just bought the collection from Silver Sprocket, Sprocket um, but they're like the, they're diary comics, but it's a, fo a fox. I think, or Raccoon. Um, okay. And they're really, really good. Um, and I was thinking about looking at four-panel comics. There's also a, a, a person on Tumblr who does these Crow comics that are really good. I'm, I know I'm not... Oh, Incendiary Dave is the Crow comics person. I'm okay. being completely useless in recommendations. <laughs> um, but you'll have to keep an eye on Poppers because I'll, I'll be writing about them soon, I think. Um, and kind of like what, you were, what we were saying earlier about like poetry and the format of the small like that's all you got in a four panel comic you got four panels and that is it right and for anyone who can accomplish a lot in those four panels it's always exciting to see yeah no i i, I agree because there's i mean it's just it's like an, an economy of storytelling you know and to see like what you can put in there visually um whether or not it's through color or whatever it might be. Yeah. I, 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 I will uh, look forward to reading that. <laughs> when it's up, when it's up, I'll send you the link. Thank you. And everyone Thank should you. keep an eye on pop first. 
um, for when it is up. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to put links, uh, you know, when we, when this goes live in terms of And I can send you the names that I've forgotten. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we'll just, I should put like a break right now on that, (laughs) you know, some like musical note and then we'll. Actually, you should remember this name. Yeah. Tiffany got back to me and the name she was thinking of from Silver Sprocket is Alex. (laughs) The wonders of podcasting. Yeah. It just like place that in i don't i can't do that byron can he 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 edits thank thankfully because i um well we're lucky that i you know have a microphone and (laughs) these headphones so i can hear um technically savvy i'm not i'm getting better at it i i i I don't like the excuse that i'm older and i don't know how to do things i i try to you know i try to have things run smoothly um well uh, tiffany i I thank you. I really appreciate you coming on and talking to me about comics criticism and poetry and Sondheim. Well, we covered a lot. <laughs> we did. This was fun. And all stuff that I like to talk about anyway. So like, yeah. um, I know you uh just in, in terms of anything else, doesn't have to be comics related. Is there anything else that you're really into right now that you'd recommend? And we'll if you forget their names, we'll 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 splice it in later. <laughs> I already talked about Shohei Otani, which you can tell that I'm obsessed with him right now because I can't stop talking about him. I've like listened to like maybe 40 hours of podcasts about him so far over the last like two weeks. Uh, yeah, I think I saw a, a tweet of yours where you were you mentioned uh, all the baseball podcasts and you I think you were at a oh, yeah. you were at the ball game, uh, nachos in a helmet baseball. or something. It, it's Hass. Um, he's super into baseball. And I live near Angel Stadium and he's in in England <laughs> and he's just like, you have to go. You have to go. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like, it's really hot. Baseball's really long. But now it's not that long because they have a pitching clock. So it's like right. it's the, the, the games are not yeah, three and a half hours long. Yeah, they do. They do run a little faster now that they yeah. have the, the pitch clock. I just um, took my family and my six year old. I felt bad because she hadn't been to a game yet. But we the, the four of us just went. It was my six year old's first Phillies game. Um, a couple of weeks ago, and she loved it. <laughs> I love that's the fun part is seeing all the kids, and the kids get really into it. Um, and it's just like it's a lot. I'm I was never a baseball person. Um, I I I don't follow basketball anymore, but that was the sport that I was into when I was into sports. Um, so I was just like baseball eye roll, but I'm also like super into novelty, which is good for a critic. So like anything that's like special, and then. Right. Hass is just like this guy is special. You got to see him, and I'm just like, okay, well, if he's special, I'll go see him. And now I'm just like, he's so special. Like I love it. Um, and so I'm very excited. Oh well, that's that's fantastic. Um, so uh, well, hopefully there'll be more uh, baseball games in your future. Then hopefully, um, yeah. So we'll that's see. exciting. <laughs> the Angels are having a really bad season. <laughs> it's a bad time for me to get into them. Yeah, the the Phillies are haven't been doing that great either after going to the uh the World Series last year. Um but uh you know, we'll see. We're we're Philadelphia, we we never count them out until until they're out. So, you know, we've 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 had some pretty close calls recently with Philadelphia sports teams, although, you know, the Phillies went to the World Series but didn't win, the Eagles went to the Super Bowl but didn't win, so but we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Well, uh, Tiffany, thank you very much. Yeah, we talked uh, about baseball too. Yeah, we have baseball. Like I am honestly shocked that I'm talking about baseball. Well, no, I mean it's great. Um, 
I, the only thing I would recommend about baseball, I, I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've been to a bunch of games, not, it's not something I follow super closely, but I do like go into the game. One thing I'll recommend, I don't know exactly where you are, but if there is a minor league team near you, we have the, the blue rocks, the Wilmington blue rocks near us. And I, I love the atmosphere of a minor league baseball game. Interesting. It's usually a smaller, they they do a lot of fun fan events to get like people there. So if you have a minor league, just if you're even a little bit now more into baseball, see if you have a minor league team near you that you can go watch a minor sure. league game. I'll give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try anything once. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they, it's usually a, it's a good time. Um, but yes, thank you very much for coming on the Yay. podcast. I really enjoyed me. it. Yeah. And I'll put links so everyone can go check out pop first. Um, Go back and check out panel by panel, especially yeah. if you haven't read any of uh, the articles in there, especially Tiffany's articles. Highly recommend it. Go check it out. Uh, check out her poetry. And um, I think you can still find some of the stuff you've written for uh, for Shelf Dust, which oh, is yeah. uh, also... There should be links on my website, which is just TiffanyBab.com. Yeah, and I'll have a link to that as well. Um, Tiffany, thank you so much. Thank you. All yeah. right. Uh, well, all right, for the Crypto Creator Corner, uh, I'm Jimmy Gasparro, and uh, thank you all for listening. Shout out again to Bob, Crypto Creator Corner's most dedicated listener, and um, I'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Crypto Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one. All you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the Department of Metahuman Affairs or DMA and check it out right now.